All right, so tonight's lesson is going to be about works. So we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about works. So do we do works to earn salvation? No. Absolutely not. That's the first thing we're going to prove from the Scriptures is that salvation is by faith. But then once you're saved, what do you do? What do your works do? So that's what we're going to look at over the course of this lesson. So starting in Romans chapter 3, we're going to read verses 19 through 31. And the foundation we want to lay tonight to begin with is salvation is by faith. Scripture after scripture after scripture proves that salvation is by faith. So that's where we want to start. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. And we're going to be looking at different words that use the word work, or that can be translated as work. So when we come across the word work in verse 20, verse 27, and verse 28, is the Greek word ergon, E-R-G-O-N, Greek word 204. And most of the time it's translated as work, as a noun, as a thing. So starting in verse, nine, verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth should be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The word under is actually in. So in the law. That all the world may, be, may become guilty before God. So if the whole world becomes guilty before God, who does the law apply to? Everyone. Everyone. Verse 20 says, Therefore, because the world may become guilty before God, therefore by the deeds of the law, or by the works of the law, the word deeds there is actually the word ergon or works, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So verse 20 of Romans chapter 3 sets a, found, sets a principle. What was the purpose of the law? Was it for salvation or is it to tell us what sin is? It's to tell us what sin is. It says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. So Paul makes a very important point. The deeds of the law, by the deeds of the law or the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. What's it mean to be justified? It means to be saved. So no flesh will be justified or saved in his sight for the law is the knowledge of sin. But Paul's going to keep going because he's going to make a really important point, especially when we get down to verse 31. It says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That means it was prophesied to happen all the way back in the Torah, all the way back in the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Yeshua the Messiah to all and on all who what? Believe. Who believe. Take note of that word. That word believe is, is a type of verb known as an active participle or a, a present participle. So a present participle means continuous ongoing action. So if you wanted to literally translate that word, it says to all and own all who are believing, continuing to believe. So is it a one time, I believed one time and 
I'm good. I, I don't believe anymore, but I did believe once upon a time. It's an ongoing, continuous action. It says, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Yeshua the Messiah, whom God set forth as a propiti propitiation by His blood through faith. What is a propitiation? That's a sacrifice, the, the, the atoning sacrifice for us. So whom God set forth as the propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So every year at Yom Kippur, at the Day of Atonement, what would the high priest do? He would, he would take the blood, put it on the mercy seat, and what would that do? Would that take away the sin? No. What would it do? It would it would cover over the sin. It would defer the sin. So what is Paul saying right here? He's given a nod to which to which festival of the Lord to pass to uh, Yom Kippur that would passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the of the one who has faith in Yeshua. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works, and there's the word Aragon again. No, but by the law of faith. So what does Paul keep hammering home over and over and over and over just in this one scripture? Faith, faith, faith. By the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he, also, is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So is there one way of salvation for one group and one way of salvation for another group? Absolutely not. What does John chapter 10 say when the Messiah said that I, there's how many shepherds? One shepherd leading one flock. It says here, it says where you went, and it says when you passed over the sins, their sins, okay? Uh-huh. Were those people waiting for Yeshua in the holding place to come so that they could be set free? Because their sins were not washed away. They were just covered. Right, so the ones that were... So that, this would have been before Messiah came, right. obviously. So those would have been ones who died in faith, looking forward. The book of Hebrews taught... Let's go to Hebrews 11 real quick. Hebrews 11. Let me find... All right. Hebrews eleven thirteen. You there? No, but go ahead. I listen. Well, I want you to read it. Well, I gotta find it. Now. Okay. I'm, I'm having a hard time because I can't move my neck right. Okay. Okay, so I'm having a difficult time here. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Hebrews eleven thirteen. It says these all died in faith, talking about Abraham, Noah, Enoch, all those people. It said these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off 
were assured of them. So all of those who died before Yeshua came, what did they have to have in order to be saved? Faith, absolutely. So they had to have the same faith that we have today because had they received those promises yet? Absolutely not. He went and preached to the spirits or went to the to the holding place and preached to them. So. And led captivity captive. So they were still there until he was crucified. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Does that answer your question? Okay. Cool. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? And his answer is certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So what does our faith do? If our faith is what we have to believe in the Lord, what does our faith do to the law, to His commandments, to His instructions? Does it take them away? Or does it have, have them make more meaning? Or have more meaning? So that's what we're going to see tonight, is we're going to see that our faith is what makes our works stronger because we now know what the purpose is for those works. So Romans 3 verses 19 through 31 tell us what about salvation? Is salvation by works or is salvation by faith? By faith. Salvation is by faith. Now on the, on the mouth of two or more let all things be established. But I have one, two, three, four more references so let it be established by five witnesses. So let's just, keep, let's just keep right on rolling in Romans chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 in Romans 4. And you'll see the word works or deeds used in verse 2 and verse 6. It says, What, shall we, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So what is that saying right there? If Abraham could justify himself or save himself by his works, he didn't need God. This is, this is a principle that you're going to see established throughout the Scriptures. Salvation through your own merit is not possible. It never is because all have what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you don't have the faith... What is it that precedes you have the faith? You have, you have to have love in order to have that faith. And that's one thing that we're going to see. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, take note of that word believed in verse 3. Where is that being quoted from? Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 6. Now in Genesis 15, 6, that word believed in the Hebrew is he'amin. He'amin. He'amin is the type of faith that you have that's not, yeah, I believe, but I just kind of, kind of, sort of believe. The kind of faith that Abraham had was true, genuine faith. And we're going to be seeing... In just a few minutes, we're going to go actually turn to Genesis 15 and look at several different places where Abraham professed his faith, and then what did God do? He put his faith to the test. Do you really have faith? 
So that faith that Abraham had, Lord, you said it, I believe it, that settles it. So verse 3 says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what was it that made Abraham righteous in the eyes of God? It was his faith. But how did he prove his faith? By his works, by his actions. Verse 4 says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Hmm. What does that mean, he who works? Does that mean we're not supposed to do works? Or is, it some, is Paul meaning it in a different way? It says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. What's the topic here? The topic is about salvation. Is salvation by faith or is salvation by works? So if you're trying to earn your salvation through works, what does Paul say? The wages are not counted as grace, but debt. Meaning what? You can't do it. You can't do it. Verse 5 says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And notice that we're quoting from, Isaiah, um, from Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 through 2. It says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So, David says all the way back in the Psalms, it says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. What does it take for those lawless deeds and those sins to be forgiven? Does it take your merit? Does it take how good you are as a person? It takes your faith. Absolutely. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So our foundation is our faith. Our foundation is our faith. So you can't forgive your own sins. You must come to the Lord by faith. That's the whole premise here. Let's go to Romans 9. Paul has a lot to say about works in the book of Romans. So from those two scriptures, what can we conclude from just those two scriptures about salvation? Salvation is by faith, not by our works. Romans 9, the key verse is 32, but we're going to read verses 30 through 33. It says, what shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, or Zion, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So that quote 
is from Isaiah 28, verse 16. If you look back at the word believes in Isaiah 28, verse 16, the one that Paul quoted in Romans 9.33, the word believes in Hebrew is the word hama'amin. Hama'amin. If you want to spell it, it's H-A-M-A apostrophe A-M-I-N. Hama'amin. And it's from the verb amen or aman, which is Strong's word 539. And the word hama'amin is a participle. So if you go back and you look at that, and it says, whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame, what kind of belief is this talking about? Is this a one-time belief, or is this ongoing? Ongoing, ongoing continuous action. Whoever continues to believe on him will not be put to shame. So what is Paul trying to tell us here? He's saying... Your faith has to be a one-time faith or a continuous action, a continual believing. It's a continual believing, and you're going to see throughout the Scriptures as we, as we explore these Scriptures, lots of stern warnings given to believers. Let's go to Galatians. Still looking at how are we saved? How is salvation? It's by faith. Galatians 2. We're going to start at verse 16. We'll actually start at 15 because 16 is in the middle of a sentence. We're going to read verses 15 and 16. It says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua the Messiah. Even we have believed in Yeshua Messiah, that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So if you're trying to earn your salvation through your own works, through your own merit, where is faith in the equation? You're missing the faith. You're missing the whole point. So Paul is saying... Though by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So Paul's saying you've got to have faith in order to be saved. Daniel, what are you saying as works? What are you putting in that category so that people can understand what you're saying as works? That's what the rest of the teaching is going to be about. You've got names and things? I've got okay. two. I mean, I'm just talking about it's not how many times you go to church. It's not how many times you do Hail Mary, full of grace. It's not how many times you had come communion, uh, right. those kind of things. Yep, we're going to talk about what, what works the Bible is talking about. Because we're going to see other places that talk about your works are what prove that you are a believer. So, what we're going to be looking at is okay, we're saved by faith, so where do works fit into the equation? That's the purpose of the rest of the teaching. So right now it's just a foundation. All right, let's skip down to verse, chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Yeshua the Messiah was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? 
This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So the whole topic of Galatians is, is salvation by works or is salvation by faith? Because Paul taught salvation is by faith. And then false teachers came in behind him and said, no, you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law perfectly in order to be saved. Where do we see this issue laid out perfectly for us? In the book of Acts chapter 15. So let's really quickly, keep your finger in Galatians and let's go over to Acts 15 real quick. And let's see what's the issue in the book of Galatians. Acts 15, verse 1. So here's the whole issue of the book of Galatians. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you what? Cannot be saved. And if you look at the underlying words under that, it's that where it says you cannot be saved, it means you don't have the power, you don't have the ability to be saved. So, in other words, you can't be saved unless you do these things right here. And what is Paul saying about that? If you go down to verse 6, verse 7 actually, it says, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, talking about the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So, Paul has said it, Peter has said it. So if these teachers who come in and say, you can't be saved unless you do these things first, what did Peter just stand up and say? No, not true. Salvation is by faith. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 5. We'll skip down to verse 5. It says, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, there's that word believed again, believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that, the only, that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So what did Paul say here about who is, the, who is the seed of Abraham? Is it those who are according to the flesh or those who are according to faith? By faith. Verse 10 says, For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident 
So what's the topic here? Has the topic changed? What's the topic? Salvation by faith. For the just shall live by faith. That's from the book of Habakkuk. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Doesn't the... What's that? So doesn't that make it sound like we're not supposed to keep the law the way that's worded? But if you read, read that verse out of context, it says if you're keeping the law, you don't have faith. But what's the context? If you're trying to keep the law in order to be saved, leaving the Lord out of the equation, relying on your own self, trying to boast in yourself, look what I did, then God says, that's debt. Those are, that's not salvation, that's debt. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. One final scripture to drive the point home that salvation is by faith. If those other scriptures haven't been clear enough, this one is about as clear as it can get. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Isn't that what Paul said back in the book of Romans? If Abraham justified himself, then he said he would have something to brag about, but not before who? But not before God. He says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Yeshua the Messiah for what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the part where we're going to turn the teaching now to focus on works. Because Paul said we were created in Messiah for what? Good works. So now we're going to look at what does the Bible mean by works? So, if we're saved by faith, then where do works fit in? So, I've done the best I, I can to take a topic that's this big and try to condense it down into four different subheadings. So, the first thing we're going to look at are good works versus bad works. So when you read through the scriptures, you'll see works that God calls good. And then you'll see works that God calls bad. How many of you have noticed in the scriptures, there are only two categories for anything. There's never a third category. So there's either God's children or his enemies. So those who do good works would be considered God's children. What about those who do bad works? We're going to find out as we read through what all of that refers to. So good works versus bad works. So your works can prove that you're a believer. Those would be good works. So we're going to look at some scriptures that prove that your works prove you're a believer. So go to Psalm 15. Yeah. Psalm 15 too.
We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. Psalm 15, we're going to spend over the next two days, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Psalms. But wait a minute, I thought it was just a bunch of songs. No, 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 no. Psalm 15, verse 1, it says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? So somebody explain to me what this is. Lord, who's going to be in the kingdom? Who is going to be in the messianic kingdom? Who is going to dwell with you, not just temporarily, but forever? So verses 2 through 5 is a list of who's going to be there and who's not. Verse 2 says, He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. The word works in verse 2 is the word pa'al. Like pa'al verbs. Like simple action verbs. So the word works is from the verb pa'al. Which is Hebrew word 6466. So in verse 2 where it says, He who walks uprightly, that's a participle. So he who is walking uprightly continually walking uprightly before God. The one who works righteousness. What is righteousness? That's the opposite of lawlessness. So righteousness deals with, are you keeping the commandments of God or not? And speaks the truth in his heart. You know, it's too bad the scripture does not tell us what truth is in plain (laughs) language. Oh, it does. Where is it? Mm -hmm. Psalm 119, verse 142. Let me just flip over there real quick so we can get it in our notes. Psalm 119, verse 142 tells us what truth is. Psalm 119, verse 142, it says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law, your Torah, is truth. Where in the New Testament does it also tell us what truth is? John 14, 6. John 14, 6. John 14, 6. Yeshua said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the difference between a truth and the truth? The is singular. The is one. It's definite. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we marry those two verses together? Psalm 119 says, Your law, your Torah, is truth. John 14, 6 says, Yeshua is the truth. So what does John 1 say? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. And add to that 119 of Psalm, verse 160. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, The entirety of your Word is truth. So the law is the Word, the Word is Messiah, Messiah is truth. And every Word is truth. Absolutely. 
So if we and look, Daniel. Yes, sir. Uh, John seventeen seventeen also goes along with that too. John seventeen seventeen. John seventeen seventeen. Yep. John seventeen seventeen says, "Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth." So, how many witnesses do we have here that tell us that the Torah, the Word, Messiah, is truth? Absolutely. So those who work righteousness back in Psalm 15 and speak truth or speak Torah from their hearts, who are those that the Lord calls right here? He said, those are the ones that will dwell in my tabernacle forever. And the word speaking also is a participle. So someone who continues to speak truth from their heart. All right, let's go to John 6. John 6. We're going to read verses 25 through 30. This is right after the Lord fed the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch, right? <laughs> with the five loaves and the two fishes. And when I read through these verses, I, I, I kind of giggle a little bit just because of just how the people viewed the Lord because they did not view Him as the Lord. They viewed Him as, yeah, as a, a genie in a bottle kind of thing. Well, they're still doing that today, are they not? Absolutely. They don't talk to God unless they need something. And they wrote that thing called Yeshua, and then they want God to answer. Right. Verse 25 of John 6 says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Yeshua answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled. In other words, you're just looking for a free lunch is what you're looking for. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? So what shall we do to work the works of God? So that word works there in verse 28 is ergon. So the works, that's ergon. The word work as the verb work is the Greek word ergazomai. E-R-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. That's just the verb form of the word ergon. So what shall we do? And that's Greek word 28. So what shall we do? What work shall we do? that we may work the works of God. So they're asking, what, what can we do? But really, what are they wanting? More food. More food. So does the Lord see right through them? Absolutely. Yeshua answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. So that's a pretty powerful phrase right there. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him 
whom he sent. The word believe is the Greek word pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O, and that's Greek word 4100. And here's something interesting. It's the Greek equivalent of he'amin. And he'amin is the word used in Genesis 15.6 that says Abraham believed in God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. So what is Yeshua telling the people? He's saying you have to have the faith of Abraham to believe in him and whom he sent. So he's saying if you, do, if, if you want to do the work of God, what kind of faith do you have to have? Do you have to just believe I'm going to give you a free lunch or do you believe like Abraham believes? So do the people here believe like Abraham believes? Absolutely not. You can tell by how they respond. Verse 30 it says, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see see it and believe you? What work will you do? What had he just done? He had just fed 5,000 people. And they're saying, if you do it one more time, we'll believe in you. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then if you just keep reading on through, he tells them that's not the bread you need to be looking for. You need to be looking for the bread of life, the bread of God that comes down from heaven. There is a contemporary gospel song out right now uh that takes what Jesus did and it says, if you did it once, can you do it again? It's almost like they're asking God, I know you did it once, but can you really do it again? It is such a... Well, even his disciples said that because the next time that there was a large crowd of people, they said, Lord, how are we going to do it? And they're probably still munching on the bread from the last time. To me, that song just is like nails against the, where's your faith? If right. He did it once, he will do what he wants to so do. So that ties it back to verse 29. So, right. the, so Yeshua told the people, the Lord told them, he said, you have to believe and have the faith that Abraham believes, has. So what kind of faith did Abraham have? God said it. Abraham believed it. That settles it. Did those people have that kind of faith? Absolutely not. So it was almost like they were testing God. Yeah, can you do it again? Can you give us a little bit more bread? Absolutely. The Lord saw right through it. Let's go to John 8. I've talked a lot about Abraham. Now let's read some more about Abraham. John eight thirty nine. As his custom was, Yeshua was arguing with the scribes and the Pharisees. <laughs> Verse 39 says, and they, that, that wasn't in the scripture, by the way. Verse 39 says, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Yeshua said to them, if you were Abraham's children, don't you know that was just a knife just dug in deep. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. The word works there is, again, the word ergon that we've seen time and time again. So where can we look to find the works of Abraham? Well, let's start in Genesis 15, 6. 
If we wanted to look at every instance, we could start back at Genesis 12 where he was called out of Ur. And how old was he when God called him out of Ur? Was he 25, 26 years old? No, he was about 75 years old. So imagine at 75 years old, God says, leave your family, leave your home, and go to the place where I tell you to do. What kind of faith would that take? <laughs> All right, Genesis 15, 6, it says, And he, talking about Abraham, or Abram at that time, and he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, accounted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. So that word believed, as we've talked about before, is the Hebrew word he'amin, which comes from amen. So what kind of faith is that, that when you believe in the Lord the way Abraham did? You, don't, you trust Him, you believe Him. If God said it, you believe it, that settles it. So if you go to Genesis 22... Genesis 22:12 And he the Lord said, "Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me." So what was this the proof of right here? His faith. This was the proof of his faith. So when he says, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Was that so much for God or was that more for Abraham to hear? God knew the faith of Abraham, but what was he wanting Abraham to hear? He wanted him to hear that affirmation, I believe. And we needed to hear it. We needed to hear it too. We needed it written in the book so we could hear it too. So this was one proof of Abraham's faith. Let's go to Genesis 26.5. So Genesis 26 is the Lord talking to Isaac, talking about his descendants will be as numerous as the stars and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But look at verse 5. So you're going to receive these promises, Isaac, verse, verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. <coughs> so Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. What is that word laws in Hebrew? Torah. Torah. But wait, this is Genesis. This is before Exodus 20. So what was it that proved Abraham's faith? Think about what Yeshua told the people. He said, if Abraham was your father, you would do the works of Abraham. What were the works of Abraham? What works was he doing? He was keeping the commandments. He was keeping the statutes. He was keeping the laws of God. How did Abraham know the commandments and statutes and judgments of God? He would have had to been taught them. It had been taught them, which means Torah has been from, from the beginning. 
Absolutely. I think that that came more real to me than anything when I looked at a timeline where it showed that Adam was still alive way over in here, just, you know, like to Noah. It was yeah. close to right into Noah's era that Adam was still alive. And Adam had, Adam had all the first knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that they were constantly handing it down. And I think that's when it came so real to me. Absolutely. That the Torah had been there from the beginning and that Adam was there, that Noah was there for years and years down to hand it down. As right. They did. Absolutely. I think that was awesome. So you've got some firsthand yes. account right there. <laughs> so wouldn't it be nice to go to the guy who actually committed the, the sin and you <laughs> look what you did to us. All right. All right, so let's go to the, now to the book of Philippians. Philippians. Still looking at your works can prove that you're a believer. Philippians 2, verse 12. No doubt a verse that we've all heard. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So take note, first of all, of the phrase work out. When it says work out your own salvation, does that mean lift weights? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that at all. Work out is the Greek word katergazomai. Try saying that three times fast. Spell it K-A-T-E-R. G-A-Z-O-M-O-I. Katergazomai. And it's Greek word 2716. And the phrase means to perform, to, to, uh, to achieve, to carry out, or to finish. So when it says to work out your salvation, if we look at that last little definition, that means to finish... What does that mean to work out your own salvation? That means bring it to completion. Endure it, endure it to the end. So work out, finish your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you. And that word works, um, the word works in verse 12 I will make sure that I wrote that down correctly. Or verse 13, actually. For it is God who works in you. The word works is energeo, E-N-E-R-G-E-O. And that's Greek word 1754. So, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Now I want you to take note of that phrase, to will. So we work out, so we finish, we, we bring to completion our salvation with fear and trembling. And notice how Paul in verse 12 said, you, as you have always obeyed. What causes one to obey? Your faith. 
So what causes one to continue working out their salvation? It's their faith. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So that phrase to will in verse 13 is the Greek word thelo, T-H-E-L-O, and it's Greek word 2309. And that's the, he- the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word chafetz, chafet, chafetz, C-H-A-P-H-E-T-S, chafetz, which is Hebrew word 2656. I want to show you where that word is used to give you a better idea of what it means to will. So God works in you to will. That means to want to do it. So through His Holy Spirit, He puts that will in you to do what? To keep going. Because how many of us ever just get a little bit lax, ever get a little bit unmotivated? And what does God's Holy Spirit do? It presses you to move on, to keep going. So to will is the equivalent of a word used in Psalm 1. So let's flip back to Psalm 1. So in Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In verse 2, do you see the word delight? That's the the Hebrew word chafetz. That's the Hebrew equivalent to the word used in Philippians 2.13, to will. So if you go, if you take out to will and put in delight, listen to how it sounds in verse 13. It says, For it is God who works in youth both to delight and to do for his good pleasure. So in order to have that drive to keep on going, God has to be God's word, God's commandments, God's law has to be your what? Has to be your delight. And if you tie it back to verse 1, it says, if that's your motivation, then what kind of man are you? According to verse 1 in Psalm 1, you're a blessed man. You're a happy man. So it says, happy is the man who does these things, who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Isn't that what Moses commanded the children of Israel to do in Deuteronomy 6? Keep it in your, the forefront of your mind. Talk about it when you get up. Talk about it with your children before you go to sleep at night. So when you, to, when you will to do His good pleasure, you make it your what? Your delight. You make it your delight. That's motivation to help you to keep on going. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 2. First Thessalonians 2. Looking at verse 13. It says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, 
Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you, period. Who what? Who believe. Wayne, what do you think that word is? What kind of word do you think that is? That is a participle. So it is those who are believing. So notice that that's a very wordy verse. But the gist of it is there are two kinds of words that you can receive. Notice it contrasts the word of God with the word of men. It says you received the word of God when you heard it from us. And what does it equate the word of God with later on in the script later on in the verse it says but as it is in truth. So notice it compares the word of God to truth. So you welcomed it not as the word of men but as it is in truth. So what what did Paul just call the word of men? Lies, <laughs> Lies not <laughs> truth. <laughs> The Bible says, let every man be a liar, but God be true. That's it. Really simple, then. So the word of God, which also effectively works in you who what? Who believe. Who are believing. Continuing to believe. And that word works, which also effectively works in you, is the Greek word energeo, which we just saw in Philippians 2. Energeo. All right, let's go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6. We're going to read verses 18 and 19. Talking about those who are rich, verse 18 says, Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So what did Paul say about those who were rich in good works? In verse 19 it says, those that store up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may what? Lay hold on eternal life. So what do the good works show? That you're a believer. They show that you are one of God's children. Now in verse 19, a phrase just kind of popped off the page to me as I was studying. And it says, a good foundation for the time to come. So once we become saved, what do we have? We have a clean slate. We have a foundation. Is there anywhere in the Scripture that talks about what kind of foundation we're supposed to lay? 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. So let's flip over there. 1 Corinthians 3. So when Paul talks about that good foundation, he's kind of nodding people back, I'm sure, to his letter to the Corinthians. As if to say, I've already talked to you about this a few times. 
Absolutely. First Corinthians 3, starting in verse 11. We're going to read 11 through 15. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Yeshua the Messiah. What is that telling us? Salvation is what? By faith. By faith. By faith in who? Yeshua the Messiah. So that is our foundation. Once we get saved, that's our foundation. So does the verse end there? Is that it? No. How many of you build a house with just a foundation? You, you, would, you would still be cold and wet and out in the rain. Verse 12, it says, Now that you have the foundation, now how are you, what are you going to do to build on that foundation? What would we call these? These are your works. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those are good works. Wood, hay, straw, those are not so good works. Each one's work will become clear. For that day, or the day, will declare it, the day of the Lord. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet, as the, yet so as through fire." When it says he'll suffer loss, what does that mean? Does that mean he lost his salvation? No. no. That just means he won't get as many rewards. So, if we take this literally, um, those that have straw and hay and wood mm -hmm. are still going to make it in. Yes. Okay. Right. But they're not going to have the standing as those who keep it all. Right. They won't have the rewards that they would that they would have. So, the works of the wood, hay, and straw, yes. those, are the, those are the things that people might have oh, <laughs> had intention, you know, like it had the best of intentions maybe, or maybe not. <clears throat> and so, what's going to reveal whether if it, it was of a good intention or not? See, I've leaned on that scripture for myself, not share it with others. Because I've had a lot of people that um, have passed on mm -hmm. uh, since the Lord brought me to know Him. And they never seem as I see now. Right. And I lean on that to pray that they may begin. Right. I mean, if you think about, let's go to, go to <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6. We all have to start somewhere. Right. How many of us, when we were saved, knew it all? It was just an instant download. <laughs> well, to say that we know it all is, is a misnomer also because we still don't know it all. We know in part because we just see in part. But Hebrews, actually, verse chapter 5. Chapter 5? Chapter 5. So just back up to verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. For you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So when we all are saved, what does the Scripture call us right here? A baby. A baby. But by Daniel, re- but by reason of that use, verse, was it five what? Five twelve. The verse five twelve. Yes. Thanks. Sorry, that scared me. I didn't. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> all right. But the scripture calls all those that are saved babes. But then, by reason of use. It says we start to get onto the solid food. So we all have to start somewhere. And if you go down to verse chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah, let us go on to perfection. So now that you're saved, let us go on to perfection. It says, Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So all of those things that Paul mentions right here are what? Elementary principles. So these are foundational things. But once you learn that foundation, what are you supposed to do? Build on it. You're supposed to learn the rest. You're supposed to build on it. So does that answer your question? Yes, I know, but I'm good. Okay. Absolutely. All right, let's go to the book of Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Chapter three. One of my favorite my my Bible just kind of falls open to this scripture right here. Because it tells what scripture is. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed and is profitable for... Here's what Scripture is profitable for. Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the word work used here in 2 Timothy 3, 17 is the word ergon. But to be thoroughly equipped, if you haven't already made note, that's a, that's a neat Greek word. It's exartizo, E-X-A-R-T-I-Z-O, and it's Greek word 1822, exartizo, and it means to furnish perfectly. So if you have the Scriptures, what else do you need? Nothing else. Do you need all the books that talk about it? Do you need the commentaries that talk about it? Paul says, if you've got the Word, you've got the Scriptures, you've got all you need. You know, and that, I mean, this just kind of reminds me when, you know, when I was, I knew I was looking for something before I started, you know, before I came to Torah. I knew I was looking for something. But it's like I was, I was reading all these books and I was reading all these commentaries and this and that and this and that. And when I actually read the Bible, it's like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. This, and so 
that's exactly what Paul is saying. If you have the Scriptures, and what does, God, what does Paul call the Scriptures? Anything that comes out of the mouth of God. So anywhere that you see, the Word of the Lord came to me saying, what is that? Scripture. That's Scripture. Go to John chapter 10. Go to John chapter 10. So if the Scripture equips us for every good work, then if we want to know what those good works are, how do we learn it? We learn it from the Scriptures, whatever the Scriptures says. But I want you to look at a parenthetical if you're reading from the New King James. In chapter 10, verse 35, written in red letters, it says, And the Scripture cannot be what? broken. The Scripture cannot be broken. So, if it's Scripture, Yeshua said it can't be broken. And Paul says that Scripture comes out of the mouth of God. So if we say Scripture has been done away with, what are we saying about God's words? He is the word. So just use that. The word just left me. Deductive reasoning. Use that deductive reasoning to think about if you say Scripture has been abolished or if you say Scripture has been done away with, think about the ramifications of that. What did you just call God? You just called God a liar. Psalm 89, verse 34. Let's get it for the notes. So why am, I, why am I beating this dead horse? Because if Paul said the Scripture is for good works, for teaching us good works, then how much of the Scripture teaches us what good works are? All of it. All of it. Psalm 89.34. I have it bracketed in my Bible. It says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So what is, what is, the, what is a foundational skill here that we have to learn about God? What does God never do? He never changes. So He never changes. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Aren't you thankful that God does not change? Because if He does change and He changes His plan of salvation, then we would be in a heap of trouble. Because what if He woke up and said, hey, salvation is only for short people? Well, I would be, <laughs> I would be in trouble. <laughs> But aren't we thankful that God does not change? And if God does not change, and we know that His Scripture cannot be broken, then we can use that Scripture to learn what these good works are. In Matthew 4.4, 4. 4, 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Absolutely. Titus 2. Titus 2. 
The book of Titus is a small book, but it's a powerful book. Very powerful book. Because Titus 1, verse 2 says, God who cannot lie. So that's another thing that we learn from the Scriptures here. God cannot change and God cannot lie. So if he said, if the Lord said, Scripture can't be broken, by golly, Scripture can't be broken. There you go. Alright, Titus 2. We're going to read verses 7 through 14. I might skip a few places just to kind of... If not, we'll read the whole thing. We'll just start at verse 6. It says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. How many of you know today young men need to be sober-minded? Absolutely. So if it's true today, if it was true in Paul's day, how much more true is it today? So likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things showing yourself, talking to Titus, to be a pattern of good works. So how do you show yourself to be an example to somebody else? By your works, by your actions. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that no one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Don't give anybody anything to say about you. Don't give them the ammunition. Verse 9. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? All men. That phrase, grace of God that brings salvation, literally says the saving grace of God. So the, gra the saving grace of God has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly. Literally, soberly means in your right mind. How many people in this world today need to hear that? Live soberly. Get in your right mind. Righteously and godly in the present age. So Paul is telling us we cannot sin. We should be living godly. We should be living righteously, denying ungodliness, denying unworldly um, lust. That sounds a whole lot different than what's being preached in pulpits today, doesn't it? Verse 13, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed. Literally, in the Greek it says, redeemed us from all iniquity, all lawlessness. So what does that do to the teachings that say you can continue in sinning? You can't repent. Repentance, that's a work. That's wrong. What does it say here? That God gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from what? All iniquity. What is iniquity? 
That's lawlessness. That's not a one-time, uh-oh. That's a continual lifestyle of sin. And purify for himself his own special people, zealous for what? Good works. People that are on fire to do God's works. That's what God's looking for. So it has so if we want to be part of his people, what do we have to be zealous to do? To keep those good works. To do those works. And those word works that are used in verses seven and fourteen are the words ergon. The word ergon. Go to chapter three, same book, Titus three fourteen. So where have you seen Paul say, you're saved, now just go do what you'd like to do. Keep sinning. God likes it. I looked for it, but I couldn't find it. You won't find it. You won't. Verse 14, it says, And let our people also learn to what? Maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. What does it mean to have fruit? Those are your what? Those are your works. How do you know a tree by... What do you know a tree by? It's by its fruits. By its fruits. What happens to the tree that produces no fruit? And thrown where? Into the fire. So it says, let our people also learn to maintain good works. What does that imply if you're maintaining good works? Continuing. Keep on going. So where have we heard Paul say, or any of the apostles, or any of the, um, the scriptures, where have you heard anybody say, just make a simple declaration of faith and you're good? Once you make that profession of faith, then what does God expect you to do? Prove it. You say you believe in me, prove it. How do you prove it? By your works, by your actions. Let's go to Hebrews. We've been there a few times tonight, so let's go back again. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 33. So we were just in Hebrews 11, but the reason I, I wanted us to look at verse 33, all these people that were mentioned, what's the one word that characterizes all these people? Faith. faith. So we could call this the honor roll of the faithful, the hall of faith, whatever you want to call it. But I want you to look at what, what is a characteristic of their faith. Verse 33, it says, who through faith Subdued kingdoms, what's the next thing say? Worked righteousness. So one thing that characterized their faith was the way that they worked righteousness. That word work is ergazomai, which was used earlier, E-R-G-A-Z-O-M-A-I, but worked righteousness. So one thing that characterized their faith was their actions, was their works. So when it says they worked righteousness, what do you think they shunned? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. 
I'm still looking for that third category, aren't you? I don't really want to find it, but I know it's not there. It's not there. <laughs> it's not there. So any time, and, and that's what is so great about the Scriptures, God shows you two choices, two hands. Righteousness, lawlessness, life, death. And the great thing about it, we get to choose. We get to make the decision. Let's go to the book of James. So just flip the page, or the next three pages. If you have one of those big coffee table Bibles, just flip to the next page. Book of James, chapter 1. Verse 25. We're going to read verses 24 through 25. We're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of James. Ah, we can't start in verse 24. We've got to go back to 22. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving who? Yourselves. Yourselves. So if you are just a hearer of the word and not a doer, he says, James says, you're just deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So that means if you make a profession of faith and you don't do anything to prove that faith, then what are you going to go right back to doing? What you did before. Verse 25 says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and what? And continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. How much more clear can James be? If you say you have faith, prove it. Actions speak louder than what? Words. Words. That's a biblical principle. So actions speak louder than words. So in verse 25 where he says, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty. That word looks into. That's actually a phrase in Greek. Or one word in Greek. So the phrase looks into is the Greek word parakupto. Parakupto. P-A-R-A. K-Y-P-T-O, parakupto, and it's Greek word 3879, and it literally means to stoop down and look closely. It means get a little bit closer and look a little bit more deeply into it. So it's not a glance, but it says he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. That means the one who really wants to dig into it and learn it. What does it say? That one is blessed in what he does because he knows what God expects of him. But the key is that you, got, you can't just look into it. What do you have to do? You got to be a doer and you have to continue. You have to keep doing it. Now, why will the man who does the perfect law of liberty, and of course by perfect law of liberty, that's talking about what? Talking about Torah. Because if we want to know what sin is, what do we read? We read the Torah. We repent of that sin. That's how it makes us free from that 
from that sin. That's the law of liberty. But where in the Scripture does it talk about the blessings if you obey? And the curses if you don't. Deuteronomy 28. Yes, let's go to Deuteronomy 28. So if we want to know what's happened before, go read what go read and see. Go find out. If we don't want to repeat the same thing, read to see what happened. And I mean that's essentially what Paul says when he says you're using the scriptures to help you not make the same mistakes that they did. Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 and 2 it says now it shall come to pass What's that next word? Yeah. If. If then. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to carefully observe, observe carefully all His commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So is there blessing for obedience? Absolutely. You keep reading through. It says blessed you'll be in the city, blessed you'll be going, blessed you'll be coming, all those different things. But then starting at verse 15, it says, but it shall come to pass. In the Hebrew, it says, and it shall come to pass. But God knew it was coming. All the curses. So 14 verses are the blessings. The rest are the what? The curses. That goes all the way down to verse 68. And you know, they didn't have to have them, but they did. And what was it a lack of? Faith. faith. We're tying it all back to faith. Let's go to James chapter 2. So just flip the page and go to verse 14. This is going to go right along with what James was saying earlier about being a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. So we're going to read verses 14 through 26. All the words that you see here that are work are the word, are, um, is the Greek word ergon. Alright, starting in verse 14 it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? What's that key word that just jumps off the page in verse 14? If someone says he has faith. So what does that mean? They're making a declaration of faith, but what if they have no works? Then it's an empty declaration of faith. It's devoid of power. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So you gave them nice words. You said, Hey, be warm, get some food. Be blessed. Be blessed. What did you not do for them? You didn't give them the things that they needed. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So James is kind of putting them to the test. He's saying, hey, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you mine by my works. Who do you think stands a better chance of uh, showing their faith? James. James. 
Uh, one thing I do want to point out, the word dead, um, where it says faith without works is dead. It's the Greek word nekros, kind of like necromancy. Nekros, N-E-K-R-O-S. Nekros. And it's Greek word 3498. And the reason I wanted to point that word out is because it's got a really good underlying meaning. It means destitute of force or power, inactive, inoperative. So when it says your faith, faith without works is dead, that means it has, your faith has no power. Your faith is inoperative, inactive. In other words, it ain't working. It ain't there. Bless you. So when it says faith without works is dead, that means it, it don't have any power. No standing. no standing. Verse 19, it says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But what kind of belief do the demons have? Is it true faith or do they just know that God exists? Verse 20 says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? That, I, I had never caught that question until I read it just the other day. Do you want to know that faith without works is dead? So James is kind of saying, do you really want to know? You want to keep digging and finding out? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? What's the answer to that? Was Abraham justified by his works? By faith, but what did his works do? That's what James goes on to say. He says, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect, complete. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. So what is it that proves that our faith is real? What do, go back to verse 22. It's faith working together with your what? With your works. Verse 25. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And that word dead means no power, inoperative, not working. So what is it that James is saying? Is he saying that you have to have works to earn your salvation? Or is he saying you have to have works to prove your salvation? You've heard the phrase, the proof is in the pudding, right? So, what are your works? It's the proof in the proverbial pudding. Yeah, he said, if you're, just, if you're making an empty declaration of faith, don't even, don't even kid yourself. Don't even kid yourself. Right, absolutely. I mean, so, like, obviously James is writing this to people who say they have what? Say they have faith, but he's saying, how real is your faith? How real is it? 
He's saying, you can tell me you have faith by your words. I can show you my faith by my works. Right. Because if you say you have faith, what is faith? Faith is the what to your... To your it's your foundation. What do you do after that? You build on it with your works, with your deeds. Because it says one day your deeds will be judged. So, I'll tell you what, it's one of the hardest things to be kind and gentle. When people know they're looking at you, the last word they said was profanity, they're smoking the cigarette, they're drinking the alcohol, and everything else, and tell me to my face that I'm going to heaven. And I have to be kind. And I have to be, you know, hold my tongue. Sometimes that's not easy. But uh, it just makes me so irritated that you can be so blind at your own self that you think we, the people, live a different clean life and you're going to slide in? Well, I don't well, have that slide in my, my book. Well, we'll let God be the judge on all that. So, we're judge, so <laughs> you know, we are... You know, I want to make sure that I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. If so, well, just like I said, let let God be the judge. But what does the scripture say? You'll know a tree by its what? By its fruit. Who does the pruning? Do we do the pruning, or does God do the pruning? So, what do we need to let God do? Let Him be the judge. Let Him do the pruning. So. I understand what you're saying, though. If it if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, it's not a chicken, right? All right. First John three. I understand what you're saying. Now, is that is that to say if you see a brother, someone who professes to be a brother, openly sinning, do you just let that slide, or do you or do you bring it to their attention? Bring it to his attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is not judging, as the world likes to call it. They like to take those scriptures that, you know, don't judge and take it completely out of context. We're not to condemn somebody to hell, to the lake of fire. There's only one. Right. You're trying to stop them from going there, right. All right, 1 John 3. Verse 4 tells us again what sin is. Verse 4 says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Verse 8 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So that is a very profound portion of scripture because it says Yeshua was manifested not so people could continue in the works of Satan but he, that the works of the devil might be destroyed so what would those works of the devil be we're about to read about those here in just a moment verse 18 so skip down to verse 18 says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. What did, what did James say about just talking the big game, but not backing it up? 
said, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That word deed, that is the word ergon or works. So love is not shown through words, but through what? Works and truth. Your actions. The word love in Hebrew, ahav, that's an action. So you show your love not just through words, but through your works and through the truth of God's Word. So back in verse 8, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So that's what we're going to transition into now. So your works can prove you're a believer, or your works can prove that you're wicked. So let's talk about what wicked works are. So number one, wicked works are a snare. So let's look at Psalm 9, verse 16. So if you're taking notes, this is going to be a bulleted list of no-nos. And if you want to call it that, that's cool with me. List of no-nos. So wicked works. Number one, wicked works are a snare. Psalm 9, verse 16. It says, The Lord is known by the judgment He executes. And what kind of judgment is that? That's righteous judgment. The wicked is snared in the work of His own hands. Meditation, Selah, which means pause a really, really, really long time and think about that. So it says the wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. That word work is the word po'al, which is from pa'al. And it's Hebrew word 6467. So po'al. So the wicked is snared by the work of his own hands. What's that mean, a snare? Like a trapped. So what do wicked works do to you? They trap you in sin. So notice the, the polar opposites. It says the Lord is known by the judgment, the righteous judgment He executes. The wicked is snared in the work of His own hands. So that means their works trap them. Trap them how? Trap them in sin. So wicked works are a snare. Number two, wicked works make you a hypocrite. Let's go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Read verses 1 through 5. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then Yeshua spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. That means according to the commandments of God. But do not do according to their works. That word is ergon. Do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, 
but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works, that's Aragon, all their works they do to be seen by who? Men. By men. So what do their works say about them? Are they good, righteous, holy works? Or are they just actors? They're just actors. So the Lord called them what in Mark 7? He said, you hypocrites. Why were they hypocrites? This is why. They said and did not do. They said, do these. They told people, observe these things from the commandments. And the Lord said, yes, do those things. But what they do, don't do. Because they say and don't do. They do their works to be seen by men. So wicked works, number one, make are a snare. Number two, make you a hypocrite. Number three, wicked works help you fit in to the world. Go to John 7. John 7. So wicked works help you fit into the world. So John 7, 7 says the world cannot hate you. That's the Lord talking to the disciples. But it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. So if you testify that the works of the world are evil, and people come against you because you don't fit into the world, are they coming against you? Who are they coming against? They're coming against God. Go to 1 Samuel 8. This is not a new concept. 1 Samuel 8. What was the problem with Israel back during the time of Samuel? They wanted to what? Fit into the world. They wanted to be like all the other nations around them because what did they want? A king. Who was their king? The Lord was their king. What better king could you, have, could you ask for? Verse 7, 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. The word rejected in Hebrew is ma'as, M-A apostrophe A-S, Hebrew word 3988. And it means more than just reject. Reject is actually the nice way of saying this. That's a lighter shade of meaning of this word. The word, in, the word literally means to abhor to cast away or to despise. So the people didn't just reject the Lord. What did they do? They abhorred Him. They despised Him. They cast Him away. So when they did that, they're not doing that to the prophet. It might look like they're coming against Samuel. It might look like they're coming against the prophet. But who are they really abhorring and coming against? They're really coming against God because Samuel wanted the people to stay true and stay faithful to God. And what did the people say? 
No, we want to be like everyone else. We want to fit in. So what do these wicked works do for you? They help you fit into the world. How did it work out for the people in Israel when they got the king they asked for? It didn't work out good. To, to borrow the southern expression, not worth a flip. <laughs> so, not worth a flip. All right, we're going to leave off here tonight. We'll pick up tomorrow, Lord willing. In Romans chapter 13, verse 12, continuing to talk about how your works prove that you're wicked. So the next point that we're going to look at is wicked works are called in the scriptures works of darkness. Works of darkness.